0: You know, how many know that emotions are powerful things? If if, if, because we love deeply, when we lose that love, we grieve deeply. And emotions are what. Why do we have emotions? God Himself is an emotional being. How many knew that? He expresses many of the emotions that we express, but He does it perfectly. Because of emotions, we can have relationship. We can have it with Him. We can have it with one another. We can have deep, meaningful, intimate relationships. Most importantly, and not most importantly, one of the reasons God gave us relationships, emotions, is because emotions lead us to change. Emotions are powerful motivators in our lives to lead us to, to, to changing our lives, to transformation. How many remember that moment Christ became real in your life? It wasn't just a dry moment. It wasn't, oh, yeah, Jesus is real. Maybe I'll do something different. It was that moment where I'm forgiven. He's lifted that burden, and I want to live differently. I want to walk differently. I want to be different. Emotions are powerful motivators in our lives. How important then that they are based on truth? How important then that they are based on God's word and what he says? I would submit to you this morning that emotions are a bridge for identity change, to change our identity, to have a Christ identity. There's a founder of Hope Lab. Her name is Pam. I'm going to say the name. Amidyar. Amidyar. Her name is Pam Amidyar. And she knew the struggles of teenagers that were going through cancer. They were enduring weeks of brutal chemotherapy in the hospital. When they went home, they went a mess. They were sapped with energy. Their hair was falling out. Their throats were raw and tender. Their immune systems were wrecked. When they finally walked out of the hospital to return home, there was one silver lining. The worst was likely over. They just had, for the next two years, they had one obligation. They had a, a, a regimen of medicine they had to take. Maybe some antibiotics, maybe some uh, chemo pills, low dose of chemo pills. And, and, and they just needed to follow that up. And, and by doing that, in two years, they could be completely free. Yet many of these teens failed to comply with that simple regimen. Why? Because though it was simple, it, it wasn't easy. There were side effects, there was nausea, there were skin breakouts, there were tiredness, there was irritability. But but on the other hand, nothing compared to everything they had gone through in the hospital. I mean, what they were going to go through keeping the regimen was nothing like what they'd go through being in the hospital. So why? Why would they skip this regimen? I mean, if they skipped but 20% of their doses, just 20%, it became a 200% higher chance that they would have the cancer again. It was really important that they stayed on it. Why would they take this risk? Well, Pam Amindar, she, she wanted to do something about it. She said, look, they're just not understanding. It's a lack of knowledge. They don't understand what's going on. And so Hope Labs developed this video game called Remission. And and, and in the video game, the the teen becomes this player, Roxy. And Roxy is a silver-suited nanobot who charges through the bloodstream, zapping tumor cells with electric green chemo rays. And each round, at the end of each round, Smitty, the mentor bot, would give information about the chemo and about recovery. And there were 20 levels of this, and each level lasted an hour. So it was packed with information to teach these teens why it was so important to stay on this regimen. They, they were convinced if they could get the teens to play it, they would be armed with the information they needed. So the, the time came out, 2008, they ran the clinical trials, and when the trials were over, it was a great success. Across the board, the teens who were playing this game had a 20% increase of chemo in their blood, which mean that doubled the chances of their survival from that little increase. However, there was a twist to the results. You see, they thought, they thought that it was the information that was going to change them. But many of the kids only played one or two levels. They didn't play it for 20 hours. And yet they had the same level of change in their life as the kids who went through all 20 hours. I mean, to, to them, it was like going and taking algebra for two weeks and being able to pass the test compared to somebody who took it for 20 weeks. compared, and compa- How could they do it without all the knowledge and information? What was the issue? And you want to know what they discovered? The reason... The problem wasn't knowledge. The problem was emotions. You see, the teens didn't comply because they lacked the knowledge. They didn't comply because of their emotional identity to the home regimen. After going through intense chemo, their life was stolen. Cancer stole their life. When they got out of the hospital, all they wanted was their identity back. I don't want to be known as the sick kid. I don't want that identity anymore. And the medicine reminded them of that identity. If I take that medicine, I'm caught in that identity. What did the game do? It gave them a gut-level emotional connection to a new identity. They became Roxy. They were the nanobot fighting cancer. Their medicine became power. Instead of a reminder of weakness, it became power. Their ray gun was fueled with chemo and antibiotics. It didn't take 20 levels. It took changing that emotional connection. In the end, Hope Lab found that all the education was virtually meaningless in motivating them to change. Change didn't come through understanding. It came through an emotional connection to their identity. Instead of the medicine regimen becoming a reminder of their negative experience, it became a feeling of power and control in their lives. Emotions are our bridge for identity change. Through our emotions, we're able to connect to our deepest beliefs of self-value. We're able to discover the hidden motivations that are in our heart. And we're able to find freedom to experience our true identity in Christ. Now, it's not a quick fix. This is a spiritual discipline to renew our minds that transform our lives. It's not a one-time, but it's something we do over and over. And as we do it over and over, and we connect to who Christ is, to what God says, we change. So we're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at how our belief system affects our identity. How does our belief system affect our identity? And we're going to look at how to change that belief system, this bridge through the emotions. So number one, our belief system, how it affects our identity. So who here wants to admit to having perfect thinking? Who here wants to admit that with their spouse sitting next to them? There's only one person, we all know, there's only one person who ever lived who had perfect thinking. Therefore, therefore, all of us have lie-based thinking, false beliefs in our lives. We all do. The sooner that we come to admit it, the sooner we can come to deal with it. Part of spiritual discipline, part of spiritual discipline is to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. How many you know this scripture? For we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The first thing Paul's telling us here is this is a battle. This is a war. It's something we have to do over and over and over. It's not a one-time thing. We don't go in and, with the ray gun and shoot one cell. We go over and over. And what are we doing? We have weapons of our warfare. They're not of the flesh. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are those strongholds? Well, he tells us, destroying arguments. Where do arguments occur? Everybody, in our mind. And every lofty opinion, every lofty opinion, where are our opinions? In our mind. Raised against the knowledge of God. Where's the knowledge of God? In our mind. Taking every thought captive. Every what? Thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What's he saying here? We need to learn to develop the spiritual discipline of over and over those thoughts that go through our minds, taking them captive and bringing them obedient to the word of God. It's not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. And when we do it, it transforms us. It changes us. And when it says being ready to punish every disobedient, every time a disobedient thought comes into our mind, we go, no, that is not the word of God. Let me ask you this. How many of you actually believe you are the righteousness of Christ? When you believe you are the righteousness, the Bible says we have become the righteousness of Christ. Here's Paul. I'm going to just, there's multiple verses. I'll just give you a couple of them. Romans 5. For if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more? <clears throat> Look up, the. sometime do a study and see how many times it says much more. How many want much more? How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness? We always think salvation is a free gift. We think grace is a free gift. How many think righteousness is a free gift? He has given us the free gift of righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, therefore, therefore. We're ambassadors for Christ. We make an appeal through God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How? For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might, what's it say? Become the righteousness of God. You notice that word become? It doesn't say do the righteousness of God. Act the righteousness of God. It means he changes us fundamentally. He gives us the free gift of righteousness. Here is a fact. We have been made righteous by Christ. There is a fundamental change in our being. We went from being dead to alive. The only thing that is alive is God. And he is righteous. We are not human being. I mean, we are human beings, not human doings. He changes us in our essence, how many of us, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, yet how many of us believe we're righteous? How many of us struggle to live out our righteousness? Well, we, why do we struggle to live it out? I would submit to you, partly we reason we struggle to live it out is we don't believe it to begin with. You see, listen. We think righteousness is out there. Jesus is out there. And I've got to keep getting to it. And I keep fighting and fighting and fighting to get to it. I will never get to something I already have. I'm trying to get somewhere where I already am. So I'm living a lie by doing it. When I understand I've been made righteous and he's with me and he empowers me and he strengthens me, then I can live from him to live his righteousness. And when I'm struggling... What do I do? I renew my mind to remind me of the truth, and that transforms how I live. So, Jesus said, to the disciples, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It doesn't say you will get to the truth, and one day arrive, and now you're free. You will know it by knowing it, by changing it, it changes you. You become free. You become free to walk in it. Amen? So, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by God's mercy. It's God's mercy. It's his compassion that says we're to present our lives as a living sacrifice. We are wholly bought and belong to Jesus Christ. Everything about us. Holy and acceptable to God. And, And that's your spiritual worship, by the way. That's what worship is, to live totally and holy for him. And then he says this, what will that look like? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? Renew your mind. That you may test and discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. See, this is not a one-time thing. It's not a sometime thing. It's a daily battle. It's part of a spiritual war of living life in this difficult world. I'm going to say that again. This is part of a spiritual world a war of living life in this difficult world. Uh, um, there's a book, um, uh, what was it called? The Road Less Taken. He said this, life is difficult. The sooner you accept it, the sooner you can transcend it. This is a difficult world. We go through hard things. The sooner we accept it, the sooner we can transcend it. By allowing ourselves to go through the war. By practicing the disciplines God's given us that cause us to flourish in it. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. What's the proverb saying? It's about what's in here, not what we see out there. All right. So. Um, take Go to the next slide. So this is a picture of. Um, Our actions on the outside, and can you go to the next one? No, I'm sorry, go back one, I apologize. Um, This is a picture of our actions on the outside. That house up there, that's our visible life. That's how we live. That's how we act. That's our behavior. That's what we see, okay? And underneath of that line, picture that house here, and underneath of that line, there's something called a foundation. How many know about a foundation in a house? It's kind of important. Do you see the foundation of your house? No, you don't walk around your foundation. You don't enjoy your foundation. But how many know that foundation is important even though you can't see it, even though it's there? Okay, so that that's, uh, uh, is our belief system. When I say belief system, it's who, what we believe about who we are, where we get our value, where we get our significance, where we get our security. That's that belief system, okay? It's beneath the surface. It's our foundation. Now what happens, now you can go to the next one. What happens if you have a crack in a foundation of a house? The windows start sticking, the doors start sticking, the drywall starts cracking. Everything all the way up to the house falls over, right? And now we we might fix that window, we might straighten that door, we may fix the drywall, we may prop the house up from the outside, but are we dealing with the issue in any of those things? No, not until we repair the foundation do we stop the outside issue from happening. Instead of working on all the things we're trying to do to change our behavior, we need to change what it is we're believing to begin. What are we believing to begin? And that is, uh, um, that is uh, the, 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 the foundation, that is the bridge to change. And I would submit to you, how we discover those beliefs are our emotions. So we're going to look, how do we change our belief system? How do we change that thing? How do we have this spiritual discipline? I'm going to give a very practical way to to, to how do we actually do this. Okay. And... and, Uh, If you have not, I'm going to suggest this. If you've not listened to Pastor Zeke's message and Pastor Terry's message, go back and listen to them. Because everything we're talking about here builds on top of one another. All of this builds together. And, And so this, because if we want to develop this as a spiritual discipline, we need to arm ourselves with the ability to walk through it. I'm going to give some few practical steps. They've given other things as well. Take all of this together as a whole. Amen? All right. so. I wanna talk about our belief cycle for a minute. What is our belief cycle? So our belief cycle goes like this. A situation happens and the first thing that, that, that situation hits is it hits our belief system. It hits something we don't even realize there, something non cognitive When I say belief system, I'm not talking about your doctrines. I'm talking about what you believe about who you are, your value, your significance, your security, your worth. So you come into a situation, it hits that. And immediately that leads us down a line of thinking. That line of thinking causes us to feel certain emotions. Those emotions lead us into actions. Remember, emotions are powerful motivators. It's why we do what we do. So Bill, Bill and Jill they come walking into a room and uh, uh, and Bob is there. Bob snubs them and ignores them. Bill he's he has a pretty decent view of himself. He goes, man, Bob's in a bad mood. Jill has a horrible view of herself. She goes, what's wrong with me? Same situation, same situation. What's that lead? It leads Jill to either try to figure out what's wrong with Bob and fix it, or to run away and to stay away from Bob and never come near him again. What does it lead Bill to do? He's like, well, you know, maybe I need to pray for Bill. Maybe I need to do something for him. The emotions that they feel because of the situation led them to a certain level of actions based on the belief that they have. This works in a positive way, too. Anybody here ever played sports? Anybody willing to admit they played sports? Let's put it this way. Anybody ever made an attempt to play sports? <laughs> Okay, you know, so picture yourself, all right? I, I played soccer for a little while. I wasn't very good. I had a lot of fun. I was a man outstanding in his own field. There you go. <clears throat> but let's just suppose I was good. Let's suppose it's the last game of the year. I'm running down the field, and we're tied, and it's seconds left. I'm 25 yards out. I kick the ball, and, it, and I put it in that nice little corner up there that no amateur goalie in the world is ever going to stop. How am I feeling at that moment? I have succeeded, what am I going to do? I'm going to be back next year. If I'm believing I need to, to do, to accomplish in order to feel good, I'm going to be back playing next year. But next year, I'm a year older. I'm a, you know, one, one more gray hair or maybe one less hair. I'm a, I'm a step slower. Same situation comes up. They said, now we're down a point, and I'm just trying to tie it up. And I kick that ball, and it bounces off the goalie, and We lose. And how am I feeling now if I'm believing I've got to perform well? I'm feeling horrible. I'm feeling low. I'm feeling less. What am I going to do? I'm going to do one of two things. Hang my boots up or I'm going to be out there practicing every day because that's not happening next year. Our emotions trigger on what we're believing, positively or negatively. All right, take a, uh, yeah, so what happens Our emotions become an indicator light. They're emotions in and of themselves. They're not good or bad. They're a warning light. We've heard this several times now. They're like an indicator light in your car. I, I like them like a fever, right? If I take away, how many think it's important that we can have a fever? Yeah, it's very important we have a fever. If I take away your ability to have a fever, would that be good? No, you wouldn't know that there's an infection inside. That fever indicates to you there's a problem underneath And if all you do is just treat the fever, get rid of the fever, you're not dealing with the infection. What you want to do is deal with the infection, and then the fever goes away. Okay? But that's not the connection we make. The connection that we make is that situation caused those feelings. That's the connection we make. All of a sudden, I'm feeling this negative feeling, or I'm feeling this positive feeling, and we say, the situation caused it. So then what we want to do, go ahead to the next one, what we want to do is uh, uh, get rid of the situation. If I want to not have this feeling, I just change my situation. I don't go near Bob anymore. I play more soccer. I don't do this anymore. I do this. I don't do that. I do this driven by what I want to feel. I'm driven by my emotions and my feelings based on my situations. And now situations are moving me around and I don't even realize that the root the whole time is what I'm believing. We make the wrong connection. Go to the next one. That's the connection that we need to make. And let me tell you, so how do we make that connection? How do we go from feeling those feelings, from that flag going off, from feeling that rejection, from feeling that failure, how do we go from that point to discovering what that belief is? Remember, those emotions are huge motivators in our lives. But God has given us an ability. I like um, Dr. Caroline Leaf. She calls it your MPA. Turn to the person next to you and say, I have an MPA. That's not an MBA, by the way. No. What's an MPA? Multiple perspective ability. This is what it is. I can be feeling the emotions I'm feeling. I can be going through intense times of emotion. And I can also stand outside of myself and see myself going through that. We have that ability to differentiate. God's given us that. And so we have the ability to look at that emotion and go, why is that emotion there? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What is the root behind that? You see, it's not the thinking that needs to be the bridge. It's the emotion that needs to be the bridge. We are motivated by the emotion. And when I stop and examine the emotion, I follow that bridge back to discover what's the belief that's causing it rather than the situation. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? All right. So, Let's go through a very practical way to how to do this. Very practical way. <clears throat> Number one, our identity only comes from two places. We only get an identity, a value, worth, significance, security. We only get it from one of two places. We either get it, you, oh, you can go on, next slide. Um, we either get it based on what God says or Satan's lie. What is Satan's lie? Your value, your worth, your significance, your security comes from how well you perform, plus what other people think about you, or it comes from what God says the truth. I'm either living my life based on how well I'm doing and how and the and the fears that are driving me because of that and what other people think about that, or I'm living my life based on God's word. And I would submit to you all of us are mixed in there somewhere. All of us are mixed in there somewhere. So what do we do? Okay. There are four fundamental fears. There are four fundamental. Now, we have all kinds of fears. But how many know that the one fear you will not find in God, the one emotion you will not find in God is fear? The one thing that is not in him is fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. For he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. The opposite of love is fear. So you will find all false beliefs uh, most false beliefs. Let me put it that way. Most false beliefs. Most lie-based thinking. Generally around four categories of fears. Four categories of fears. The first one. Uh, uh, um, so, uh, let me back up and say this. Therefore, fear is Satan's prime motivator in our lives. All right. Understand that. So, what's the first one? The first one is fear of failure. What is the fear of fear of failure? I have to meet certain standards. In order to feel good about myself. If I don't hit a certain standard, I'm a failure. If I want to be happy, I must have what other people have. It leads me to being perfectionistic. It leads me to being driven to succeed. It leads me to manipulate others to achieve success. Or it leads me to withdraw from taking chances and taking risks. What is God's answer for this? So if I'm going through that fear, if I find myself in the middle of those fears, and I find those emotions welling up in my life, what do I do? I stand outside of myself and I say, that is not God's word. I say, God, what does your word say? Your word says, I am justified. I am fully pleasing to you. Therefore, since I have been justified with by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If he made you righteous, can you make yourself righteous? No, I am righteous. You've made me righteous. My righteousness is found in you. It's not whether I fail or succeed. It's that Jesus did not fail to succeed. Justification means God's not only forgiven me of my sins, he's granted me the righteousness of Christ. I bear Christ's righteousness. Therefore, I'm fully pleasing. He looks at me and says, I am pleased I created you. I am pleased to dwell with you. You are fully pleasing. And I come into that grace. I come into that gift of righteousness, and I allow that fear to be risen into it. And it's a a truth moment and an emotional moment at the same time. I do it because of truth. I walk in it because of truth, not with feelings, but he fills me with both truth and feeling. What's the next one? Fear of rejection. I must be approved by certain others in order to feel good about myself. If I want to be happy, everyone has to like me. If I'm not approved, then what's going to happen? If this fear of rejecting, we, we, we please others at all costs. We become overly sensitive to criticism. We uh, withdraw from others to avoid disapproval. And what does God's word say? Reconciliation. You have been reconciled to God. You are totally accepted by God. You are totally accepted. God totally accepts you. He accepts you because Christ has made you Righteous. You are righteous in his eyes. You are pleasing in his eyes. You can come before him and be accepted. This is what he says right here. He says, uh, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach before him. At one time you were hostile to God. At one time you were alienated. You are forgiven. You are brought into intimacy with him. You are totally accepted by him. When we live from that place, we can walk out his righteousness. Instead of keep trying to get to that place. What's number three? The sphere of punishment. What does that say? If I fail, I'm unworthy of love. I deserve to be blamed, condemned, and punished. And by the way, so do others. If they fail, they're unworthy of love. They deserve to be condemned and punished. Not only do we feel it, we treat our kids that way. What does God's word say? It's a big fancy word called propitiation, and what it means, I am deeply loved. I am deeply loved. In this is the love that God has made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus took on our punishment. He loved us so much he took on our punishment. There's no punishment in Jesus. There's no punishment in Jesus. He took on our punishment. And so we come by God's grace when I'm feeling unworthy, unworthy of love, feeling I should be punished or I should punish someone else. And I come into that grace and I go, Lord, you love me. You love me, not because I deserved it, but because you are love and you make me lovable by washing me, by cleansing me. He takes punishment from us. He takes it and wipes it from our lives. What is the fourth one? The fourth one is despair. This, to me, at some levels, is the greatest fear. Why? Because it's a fear that I'm broken, that there is no hope. I am what I am, I can't change. I'm hopeless. I've been here. I've been trying to walk the righteousness of Christ over and over and over again and fail and fail and fail. I go, God, I know it's not your word. I know your word's true. Yet I can't do it. Yes, it's just me. I'm just broken. something fundamentally wrong with me. We walk in condemnation. We walk in shame. We walk in despair. I remember the day. I I, I feel we have feelings of inferiority, hopelessness, passive. We lose our creativity, we isolate, we withdraw with others. I remember the day I saw this verse and came to understand it. I have been regenerated. I'm absolutely complete in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, the new has come. As if Jesus spoke directly to my heart and says, you don't have to change You've already been changed. How can you change to be righteous if you already are righteous? You already are righteous. You've been changed. It gave me power. It gave me strength. It gave me grace. It gave me hope. It gave me a way forward. I didn't stand before God condemned. I didn't stand before him unloved. I didn't stand before him in despair. I stand before him in that Jesus has changed me already changed me he did it i'm a new creation and so when those emotions pop up and they want to press me down they want, I, I go no i'm telling you sometimes it's a fight sometimes it's a war our emotions are going to pop up causing us to want to do all kinds of things They are powerful. They're why we do things. We need to stand outside of those emotions. We need to see them for what they are. And we need to examine them in the light of God's word. And we need to bring punishment to every thought that's disobeying God. We need to take every thought captive. And it's not something we do once. It's not something you do twice. It's something you do your entire life. This life is difficult. The sooner we learn it, the sooner we can transcend it. This is a spiritual discipline that we are called to walk through as believers in Jesus Christ. Quite frankly, he walked the same walk. He brought every thought captive to the word of God. And we have a high priest who understands this, who knows this, who understands what it's like to do this. That's why he's pouring out grace for us to come into that grace. And to bring these things continually back to him. It is a spiritual discipline. And let me tell you, if you want the peace of God, it takes tremendous discipline. If you want the peace of God, it takes tremendous discipline. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How does that peace of God come? When we're anxious for nothing, but in everything. Well, how much much stuff is that? It's everything. That takes work. That takes work. But that's not the world we live in. The world we live in is we want to live how we want to live and then we want a pill to fix it. We want to open the Bible one time, get a word and say, I'm fixed. We want to sing one worship song, feel the Holy Spirit, and say, it's all good. But what are you really offering to someone else if you think that's what's going to fix you? You've already been fixed by Jesus. That's what you're offering. Let's live in it. Emotions are the bridge for changing our identity. Through them we can connect to our deepest beliefs of self-value. We can find those things that we didn't even know were there. We can discover the hidden motivations of our heart, why we're doing what we're doing. And we can find the freedom to experience the true identity in Jesus. It's not a quick fix. It's a spiritual discipline to renew our minds and to transform our lives ultimately our identity is what God says. I am fully pleasing. I am totally accepted. I am deeply loved. I'm a new creation complete in Jesus Christ.